Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7 together. I just want to read the text over us as we jump in. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Jesus apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Verse 9 and 10, Paul's going to start talking about how the incarnation of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus are working hand in hand to give out gifts to God's people. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Jesus Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, listen to this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus. Attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Jesus. This is the word of God out of Ephesians chapter four. Over the the last year or so, my family, we got to experience a lot of amazing things. We got to go different places. We got to serve different people. But in all seriousness, one of the coolest moments of the last year was, was me and my buddy Mark Gent and Sam Parnell and Elliot Wood, all a part of this church. We had the joy of coaching a four to six-year-old baseball team. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to teach four to six-year-olds anything, but it is, it is amazingly difficult. I have like this profound new respect for like elementary school teachers. But I remember that this first night of practice you know, Mark and Elliot and Sam and I were sitting there and each of our kids are on the team. And then there's about seven or eight kids from the community that we didn't know before the, the season started. They just got put on our team. Trust me, they were not ringers. We did not pay them to be there. These four to six-year-olds, they show up and we start getting a lay of the land. Okay, like what's the skill set that we're working with? And we realize, like in that moment, we've got to adjust our game plan. Like victory is not the key here. Lack of embarrassment is, is the key here. We had kids that didn't know which hand the glove went on. They didn't know which direction to run. They didn't know the names of the positions. We'd give them a baseball bat and their arms across. They don't know how to stand. And so we thought, okay, we've got to start literally at the bottom and we've just got to teach these kids the game. We've got to teach them teamwork. And it was amazing as the season went on, watching them play together, watching them have fun together, not to brag. We were really, really good by the end of the season. We won four times. We lost 12. You can do the math, like... <laughs> You know, I'm not going to be a coach, but we had this amazing experience. And one of my favorite moments of the whole year, we get to the end of the season and we played all of our games and we had this little like banquet, this, uh, we order pizza and we're playing on the playground and uh, we're having this banquet and we're giving them trophies and we're having this time. And at the very end, Mark, who's like our head coach, he came up with this brilliant idea. He said, here's what we want to do. He said, in front of all the players, we want to call up every player in front of their families and the rest of the team, and each coach, we just want to take a few minutes to tell this player why it is that we needed them on the team. And I thought, Mark, are you drunk? Like, what are we going to say to some of these kids? Like, you were amazing at building sandcastles in the middle of the game. Like, your knack for focus like, was phenomenal. Like, what, what are we going to say? But it was this, like, brilliant idea. He said, let's just call them up front. And tell them like why it is that we're on the team. And so we like called them up front and we're like, man, the way that you learned how to catch or the way that you learned how to tie your shoes or the way that you learned how to encourage or the way that you could eat snacks at the end of the game was unparalleled to anybody else. And there's this moment where we call each kid up front and we'd say, listen, you weren't just another name and you weren't just another number and you weren't just another slot on the, the field, but you mattered and our team needed you. And if you weren't here, we never would have been a team. 
And I was thinking that because as we were doing that with each of these players, these little four and six-year-old and five-year-old, they were like standing up straight, just like, you know, kind of like looking, calling the shot, like looking out at their parents, holding the trophy they didn't earn, you know, but they're like, they're holding it, they're like, look at us. And I'm like, isn't it amazing when somebody values you enough and they look at you and they say, hey, you're not just a name, you're not just a number, but here you're needed and you're known and you belong. That moment when your friends get around you on your birthday and say, hey, this is why you matter. All year long we make fun of you because that's what guys do, that's what friends do, but today we wanna tell you why you matter. Or that moment where you've been gone from work for a week and you come back and your coworkers seem relieved and you realize, wow, I actually carry weight around here. Like, I was missed, I'm needed, I belong. Isn't it an amazing thing when someone helps you realize that you're not just a name and you're not just a number, but that you're known and that you're needed and that, you're, that you belong? And if I was gonna sum up the, the whole heart of what it is that the Apostle Paul's getting at, in Ephesians chapter four, it's this. If you take notes or if you wanna to tattoo this on your heart, whatever you wanna do, like this is the premise of the whole sermon. Paul's gonna say, in order for us to be us, we need you to be you. Like if the church is gonna be an us, if the church is gonna be more than a factory that dispenses spiritual goods and services, if the church is really going to be a community, in order for us to be an us, we need you to be a you and we need you to understand who it is that God's made you to be. And there's this amazing moment and I wish our church was small enough that we could do today what we did with our little baseball team and bring you up one at a time. Deanna, this is why you matter here. Hey, Hubie, this is why you matter here. Hey, Jason, this is why you matter here. Hey, Ashley, this is why you matter here. Because here, the truth is, although you may feel like it at times, you're not just a number and you're not just a body in a seat and you're not just a volunteer and you're not just a check writer and you're not just a pray, prayer prayer. You're not any of these things that what Paul is getting at is if you weren't a part of the body of Christ, the body would be deficient and that you're needed. And he's gonna say, in order for us to be an us, you have to be a you. And I wanna just kind of lean into this for a moment this morning. They're just kind of these three huge proclamations that he's gonna make. And I want us to see these and explore these for a few minutes. And then I want us to deal with what is it that keeps us from living into this vision as a church together. So he's gonna say, hey, if, if we're gonna be an us, you need to be a you. And I want you to notice kind of the first big proclamation that he makes in verse seven and 10. He's gonna say, in order for you to be you, you have to understand that intrinsically, listen to this, you are a gift. Not just you have a gift, but that you are a gift. And there's a big difference between you having a gift and you being the gift. Does that make sense? Shake your head if it does. You having a gift is you being the kid in the neighborhood that got the Xbox 360 for Christmas. And now all of a sudden, all the kids want to come be your friend. Why? Because you have the toy they all want. That's you having a gift. You being a gift is when the kids from the neighborhood come over because you're in the house. And I love this, Paul's gonna say, in order for us to be an us, you have to be a you, and in order for you to understand how this all works, you have to understand that you are the gift. It's not just that you have a gift, it's that you are a gift. Look back at verse seven and 10 with me. I love this in verse seven, he says, but to each one of us, remember he's writing to the whole church, he's not writing to a group of leaders, he's not writing to some spiritually elite group. He says, to each one of us, those of us that have been saved from sin to Jesus and for a purpose, he says, each one of us has been given a grace just as Jesus apportioned it. It's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Not to some of his people, 
not to a few of his people, not to the leaders of his people, but that Jesus gives gifts to his people. Why? Because Jesus is amazing. It's not because you're so awesome. It's because he's so awesome. On Christmas, Sydney and I give gifts to all of our kids. Why? Not because they're so awesome, but because we're dang awesome parents. <laughs> they didn't deserve it. Trust me, they don't deserve it. Why do we give them gifts? Because we're awesome and we love them. Why does Jesus give you gifts? Because he's awesome and he loves you. And in verse seven, he says he gives gifts to all people. But down in verse 10, Paul's gonna take it the next step. He's gonna say, listen, he hasn't just given you a gift. He's made you the gift. And there's a difference between having a gift and being a gift. Look at this in verse 10, he, or verse 11, he qualifies. He says, listen, so Jesus himself gave the apostles, these are people, and the prophets, these are people, and the evangelists, these are people, and the shepherds, these are people, and the teachers, these are people. He says he's given gifts, but more than that, he's given people, and people are the gifts. Now, I wish we had more time to unpack this. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture to teach. And we could talk about all that's going on here, but I just want to give you a little bit of insight so you'll understand where it is that we're going the rest of this morning. There's a lot of views about Ephesians chapter four, verses 11. There's some people that go, all of these gifts don't exist anymore. There's no more apostles, there's no more prophets. There's no more evangelists in that sense. There's just shepherds and teachers. There's some people that believe that all the gifts don't still apply. There's a whole other train of thought that says the gifts apply, but they don't apply to everyone. And this morning, I just wanna state very clearly, I believe all of the gifts still exist. And number two, that all of the gifts apply to God's people. That all of us, back to verse seven, as Christ has apportioned, as he's chosen, as he's decided, that all of us not just have a gift, but all of us are a gift. That some of us function apostolically, some of us function prophetically, some of us function evangelistically, some of us function shepherdly, some of us function as teachers, but together we become a we, us becomes an us when you start embracing you. When you start understanding that you don't just have a gift, but that God has made you a gift. And that God has uniquely hardwired each and every one of us to bring to light a characteristic of Jesus that the people around you may not bring to light if it wasn't for you. Now this, this is an amazing thing. Paul says the way that this works is that God in his love for you has apportioned some of you to be apostles. This is kind of a weird word for us. You may not even know what that means. But during the days of Jesus, during the days of Paul, that was a very familiar term. In fact, it wasn't even a religious term. It was a secular term. It was a Navy term. It was a term used to describe the first boat that would leave the harbor and show all of the other boats where to go. The apostle was the first ship in the fleet that would navigate the shallow channels and get out to the open waters so the rest of the boats could do what the rest of the boats were do, and that was to sail in the open sea. And Paul says, some of you are hardwired in the kingdom of God like apostles. You see opportunities out there that nobody else sees. You navigate the uncertainty so that all of us can play in new ways in the kingdom of God. He says, some of you have been wired like apostles. So some of you have been wired like prophets. Prophets have this deep sense. If apostles take us out, prophets point us up. 
prophets have this sense of what is it that the heart of God is concerned about? And what is it that the heart of humanity is bogged down in? And prophets have this ability of going, okay, I know we're making progress forward, but what is God interested in? And what do the people on the outside think about in this moment? Back in the early days of the United States when we were digging coal mines for the first time and technology was not what it is right now, a lot of times the miners would get in and they begin digging these coal mines and these toxic gases that were invisible to the eye would begin to seep out into the mine and the miners would die and they couldn't figure out why it kept happening. And so someone was smart enough to discover that there must be something in the air that they can't see. And so they began taking canaries down into the coal mine with them. This was before PETA existed and they, they weren't so worried about animal rights activists, but they would, they would take these canaries down in the coal mine because they understood that a canary's lungs were more sensitive to the things that you couldn't see than a human's were. So as soon as the canary began to chirp, they realized they needed to get out of there. It's this amazing picture of what prophets do, that God has hardwired some of you to be sensitive to the things in the culture, to the things in the spiritual air that no one else around you can seem to get, to the injustices and the things that break the heart of God. And the church needs you to be you. He says, some are apostles that take us out. Some are prophets that point us up. Some are evangelists that bring the church and the world together. Have you ever had a friend that is not just the life of a party, but is the party herself or is the party himself? Like wherever they go, they're bringing people together. And he says, some of you, although you use that gift inappropriately in college to throw keggers, that's actually a spiritual gift and that God longs to use that to bring the church and the world together. And then he's wired some of you to bring communities together as evangelists. Or some of you have been gifted as shepherds. Some of your Bibles say pastors. But that's too spiritual of a term and I think we miss the actual gift itself. Shepherds in the days of Jesus, they do a lot of different things. They would feed the sheep and they'd protect the sheep. But one of the most important roles of a shepherd was every night when the sheep would come in, a shepherd would pay attention to, are all the sheep accounted for? And one of the most disgusting jobs of a shepherd is as each sheep would come into the fold, they had this little wooden tool that was about the size of a person's, uh, about the palm of your hand. And a shepherd would stand at the back of the sheep as they were coming into the gate and they would literally scrape the feces off of the back of a sheep that was stuck in the wool on its, on its hindquarters. They'd scrape it off because the shepherd knew that although wolves were a problem, their sheep were far more likely to die because when they were out in the fields, they'd get feces cracked, uh, crapped all over them. They'd, they'd get feces <laughs> caked all over them. And they'd come back in and little bugs would eat into their flesh through the crap that was stuck all over them. And they would not die from the, the things out there. They would die from the stuff in here. And some of you have been hardwired by God as people are coming in from the brokenness of the world to help clean up and to help navigate the crap that the culture has bogged our lives down with. Some of you are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and some of you are teachers designed to strengthen the church and to help us live like Jesus and to help us think with a renewed mind so when we go back into the world tomorrow, we will live more faithfully. 
And I love this moment because Paul's gonna say, listen, in order for the church to be in us, in order for us to be in us, you have to be a you and you have to understand how it is that God has made you as apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers. You are a gift. It's not just that you have a gift. But there's a second big revelation that he gives us here. And it's not just that you are a gift. He gives us this revelation of how it is that we're supposed to use the gift. Look down at verse 12 with me. He says, you have this gift, you are this gift to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Listen, he says, if we're gonna be a we, if us is gonna be an us, you have to be a you, but you have to understand that your gift is not about you. That God has made you a gift But if the gift is not exercised in the context of community, the gift will be wasted. The gift will be squandered. Remember uh, when I was 10 years old, me and three of my cousins were all around the same age. We all wanted a toolbox for Christmas. And so we asked my grandmother to give us a toolbox. We wanted to build a tree house. So we get there to Christmas morning and we're unwrapping the gifts and I, I get a saw and my cousin Matt gets a hammer and my cousin Josh gets a tape ruler, whatever it was that he got. We're getting all these different tools and then at the end she gives us one toolbox and we're, we think, man, bless her heart, she's losing her mind. She didn't understand what it was that we asked for. We didn't want one toolbox, we wanted four toolboxes. We wanted four sets of tools. She gave us one, like we should have specified. And there's this moment where my grandmother looked at us and she said, hey, here's the deal. I bought you one toolbox for a reason. And that is so you leave all your tools here. So that way you can only use them when you're together. And what was frustrating when I was 10 years old is an amazing illustration as a preacher when you're in your mid-30s. And I'm like grateful that she did that because all of a sudden it was this glimpse into how the church has been put together. That God has gifted us differently, but the gifts only work when our lives are working in unison. He says, listen, the purpose of your life, whether you're an apostle or prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher, is to bring those things into Christian community. Listen to this, verse 12, so that the church can be built up. He says, if us is gonna be an us, you have to be a you, but... You being you is never the end game. It's about what God is doing in the community. And it brings us to the third revelation. And that is when the people of God live like this, the result is fullness in Jesus. Look at this, verse 13, I love this. He says, we do this until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. Do you realize that the purpose of Christianity is not sin management? That the purpose of Christianity is not behavior modification. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could be slightly better version of your old unredeemed self. The purpose of Christianity is fullness. Fullness of life and of joy and of intimacy and of friendship and of adventure and of risk and of security and of identity. Jesus in John 10, verse 10 says, I came to give you life and to give you life to what? To the full. And here Paul's gonna say, this is the way that you begin to experience the fullness of life is in the context of community when you realize that you are a gift and when you begin to exercise that gift for the good of others, what we all begin to taste of is the fullness of Jesus. And it's an amazing thing when a community of people begins to see this. I think about it in our own church. I think about my sister Jana. She's been gifted by God as an apostle. 
She's got this like apostolic gifting on her life. She's always looking out, seeing opportunities that nobody else sees. Hey guys, did you know that there's an opportunity in Northern Uganda? And I'm like, no, how do you know that? You're from West Tennessee, how'd you figure that out? Because God has put something in her that is always looking to the open waters. Or think about some of our people that are gifted as prophets. So think about Amos, think about Abigail. Think about these men and women in our church that have this ability to sense the heart of God and to sense what God is doing in the heart of humanity and to figure out how our church can meet those two things in the middle. It's beautiful. I think about those in our church that have the gift of evangelism. I think about my friend Colton. I don't know if you know Colton, but uh, if you don't know Colton, you gotta meet Colton. I mean, he is the party wherever he goes. First time I met him, hey Dave, I do this thing called Friendsgiving every year. You gotta come be a part of it. Hey, Dave, I'm doing this thing. Come be a part of it. Hey, I want to get you together. Hey, I want to, and just an evangelist. Connecting and drawing together, and it's a beautiful thing when it's at work. I think about those in our church that are gifted as shepherds. You know, I think about Dennis and Marsha Malone. Man, when your marriage hits the rocks, you want Dennis and Marsha showing up at your house. When you relapse into that addiction that you thought was never coming back, you want Dennis and Marsha showing up at your house. And they have this ability to show up at your side and to help scrape the crap of the culture off your life when the world's giving it to you again. Or I think about our teachers. I think about my friend Josh Mosley, who never once has stood up in front of our church because he hates big crowds, but he's one of the best teachers in our church because every week he's sitting down with people in our church family and he's saying, let me help you live and walk more faithfully like Jesus right here and right now. And when the church is the church, when we are we, when us is in us, all of us begin to experience the fullness. And I believe deep down, every one of us knows that. Like, like this morning, if we call each person up here and say, hey, this is why you matter on the team, I think all of us would shake our heads and go, yes, that's true. But if we're not careful, we'll leave here in 15 minutes or in 20 minutes, and we'll go back to living the way that we live and we'll miss out on the fullness that Paul is trying to help us get to in Ephesians chapter four. And so very briefly, I mean very, very briefly, I just wanna point out a few things that would keep you from missing the fullness of Jesus this week, okay? And so if, if you're not interested in fullness, you can tune me out, but if you're interested in fullness, I think, I think there's four things that come after us over and over and over. And the first thing is a lot of us are just woefully unaware of our own giftedness. A lot of us are unaware of the fact that we're a gift, that we have a gift. We have no idea. I think about several years ago, uh, one of my best friends, a guy named Crockett, he and I were always in prank wars with one another. And uh, I know that's childish, but that's just how I'm wired. So there you go. So we were in these prank wars and Crockett had said to me, he said, Dave, next time I pass roadkill, I'm gonna put it in a box and I'm gonna hide it in your house. Just tell Sydney she has to deal with it. And so um, that's the kind of man that I was dealing with in my buddy here. And so we come home one night from, we'd been on a date and we come to our garage door and there's this note on the door. It says, surprise, there's a box in your garage. Find it, good luck. And I'm like, he did it. Oh my goodness, what an idiot. Like, I can't believe 
my friend has put roadkill in our house. So we're searching through the garage and we finally find this box and I'm not even opening it up, it's disgusting. I take this box, I throw it in the trash can, I call him up, I'm like, hey dude, I found it, you went too far, what's wrong with you? And he says, it wasn't me. I'm like, you're the only person I know that would do this. He says, it wasn't me. He said, I applaud it, but it wasn't me. I don't know, I don't know who did it. And so he and I are going back and forth and I get off the phone and I tell Sydney, I said, I don't know who did it, but I don't think it was Crockett. So we're sitting there in the living room and thought, okay, well, I wonder what it is. So I walk out uh, to uh, the, the trash can and I get the box out and I reluctantly open it up. And I kid you not, sitting in that box is a brand new, never been opened before MacBook Pro. True story. Like um, someone had found out that our computer broke. They bought us a new one. Seven years later, I have no idea who did it. If it was you, thank you. We have loved that. It's about time for a new one. Um, I, I don't know how that works, but I, I thought, what would have happened if we never would have opened the box? We never could have used the gift. A lot of you have a gift that is laying in a cardboard box in your heart that's never been opened. God has made you for something. And the reason a lot of us miss out on fullness is because we're just woefully unaware of how God has made us. I think a second reason we miss out on fullness is a lot of us confuse connection with community. We look at ethos and we go, hey, we're connected at ethos. We serve, we give, we show up on Sundays, we're in a house church. And all those things are so good, but I just want you to hear this very clearly. Being connected and being in community are two very different things. Community is what happens when you choose to let people into your life and you share the vulnerability of your heart. When you let people into the spaces that no one else comes into. When you let people speak into the brokenness and into the joy, it's only in the context of community, not connection, that you experience fullness. Sometimes we miss out on fullness because there's a lack of awareness. Sometimes it's because there's a lack of community. Number three, sometimes it's because there's a lack of vision. I think a lot of times, we reduce this thing of church down to something so much smaller than it was intended to be. We think of church as a place, as an event, as an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We think of it as this moment in the week. And I want you to hear me, church can never be reduced to an hour and a half. You can choose to participate in it that little, but church is so much bigger than that. It's a family, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, until you breathe your last breath. Think about with my boys on their baseball team this year. You know, one of the things that I tell them every day, they'd wake up, hey, do we have a game today? No, we only have two games a week. Oh, okay. There's a disappointment. And what they began to learn as the season would go on is the whole team would only get together twice a week, but no one could keep them from playing baseball every single day. And so I'd come home each day from work and they're out there throwing the ball and they're, they're playing in the backyard because they knew that although the whole team would be together just a few times, they could play every single day. Church, as a whole family, we only get together a couple times a week, but the only person that can keep you from being the church every day is you. I remember when I was in high school, one of my youth pastors, he said, every morning before you go to school, call someone in the youth group and spend five minutes praying together. He was just teaching us, here's how you play every day. And don't wait for Sundays, don't wait for Wednesdays. Here's how you play every day. Some of us miss fullness because of a lack of awareness. Some of us miss it uh, because we're not in community. Some of us miss it because we have too small a vision of church. And lastly, some of us miss it because we view other people's gifts as our competition. We allow someone's differences to create division. And I want you to hear this so clearly. 
Your differences are not a place of division. Your differences are a place of divine design. Like my grandmother handing out gifts on Christmas morning, saying these things have got to come together. That those of you that are gifted to see the horizon are not in competition with those of you that are designed to care for the body right here. And those of you that are designed to hear the heart of God are not in competition with those that are designed to know the needs of the world. But that together, as we begin to live into these gifts, all of us begin to experience the fullness of Jesus. And I go, can you imagine what would happen to us if you started being you? What would happen to us if you said, you know what, this is gonna be more. (laughs) This is going to be more. And so I wanna challenge you this week. Take a step. You know, for some of you, it's a step of awareness. You're gonna sit down with a friend and say, hey, where do you see the grace of God uniquely in my life? For some of you, it'll be going online. You can take a free test. I kid you not, fivefoldsurvey.com. I'll tweet it out after the sermon. Fivefoldsurvey.com. It takes you 10 minutes. It just gives you a sense of how God has potentially wired you for life in the family of God. Some of you, it's a step of awareness this week. For some of you, it's a step of community this week. Or you just gotta call your friends and say, let's quit doing life in the shallow end. Let's get into one another's lives. Let's really go deeper. For some of you, for some of you, it's a step of community. For, for some of you, it's a step of vision saying, you know what, every day, every day I'm gonna figure out how to play the game. Every day I'm gonna figure out how to encourage somebody, strengthen somebody, build somebody up. And for some of you, It's you learning how to celebrate and bless and encourage those that are so different than you in the kingdom of God. Because the truth is they need you and you need them and we need we so that we can be the church. Oh, what God might do. (laughs) What God might do if we lived this out. Let's stand as we pray. Father, I love you and I love these people. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for your glory, would you not just pour out your gifts upon us, but Lord, would you raise a new sense of awareness in us to what a gift we are to one another. God, would you give us opportunities to live into this together. Uh, Lord, I pray that the result of this would not just be a deeper sense of self-realization as the world would see it, but that, God, we would become empowered in new ways to serve you and to serve each other for your glory and our joy. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.